Today we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we're continuing our study on biblical uh, church leadership. Uh, it's very important that we have a good grasp of what uh, church leadership is. And so we've been covering this. And, and really I thought that t- this Sunday would be the last Sunday. Uh, but as I began to, to study this week, I uh, realized that we're not going to be done on this Sunday. Uh, we'll at least have next Sunday and uh, possibly uh, further on depending on uh, how things uh, come together next Sunday. But just a reminder, there is three titles uh, for those who serve as as pastor, pastor or shepherd, and that is elders and overseers, and those people are pastors and shepherds. So when we we read through the Bible and we start thinking about the idea of shepherds and overseers, uh, this is the idea of... um, uh, or elders and overseers, this is the idea of shepherds, all of these men, uh, all of these titles refer to the same group of men who are shepherds. And really, God has gifted men to serve with their time, talents, and treasures to care for God's flock. This is what Paul says uh, to uh, the Philippian uh, elders. He says this, I'm sorry, the Ephesian elders, he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so Paul, as, as he's communicating here, he's talking to a group of, of leaders within a church, and he reminds them, first of all, that this church is not your church. This is God's church. This flock is not your flock. It's God's flock. And so, um, notice, pay careful attention to yourselves. And really, to serve as church leadership, there is a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of responsibility. And so, the burden is, is big. As, as the, the uh, preaching pastor, as the senior pastor, my desire every Sunday is to communicate God's Word. But because I know I'm not perfect... There's a part of me that's always concerned that I'll communicate my idea rather than God's idea. So that burden is always heavy, and it's, it's really heavy for all of the church leadership because our desire is to lead the church in a godly way, to follow after the good shepherd. And so sometimes we gather together, and that's what we'll pray for. And we'll pray for that specifically in our, in our elders' meetings, that those meetings would go in such a way that would bring God glory, because we as men know that we, at times, make mistakes. We make mistakes. And so that burden is heavy, And that responsibility is big. And so Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves. So look toward yourselves. Are you ready to serve and to all the flock as well in which this Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he he obtained with his own blood? When we looked at John chapter 10, we were reminded of uh, the fact that Jesus Christ is what? He's the good shepherd. And really, uh, elders and, and church leadership, period, we fall underneath the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He is the one who laid down his life. Matter of fact, it is Christ who says that there is only one way into the church, and that is through him. This is the words of Jesus Christ found in John ten nine. It says this, I am the door, one of the great I am statements found in John. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. And so when we looked at John chapter 10, we were reminded that the church is made up of those people who have come through Jesus Christ, that he is the gate, he is the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. And so it's not, I didn't lay down my life. And the elders didn't lay down their lives. We are not the master shepherds of Wilton Bible Church. The master shepherd of Wilton Bible Church is Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. It is his church. Then, of course, we went and we, last week we looked at uh, uh, Acts chapter 6. And that, that's a really important study. 
Acts chapter 6 was really an important study because we looked at really the foundation of these two groups of leaders that we have today, shepherds and deacons. And really, I think what happened there in in, uh, Acts chapter 6 is really the start of these two things. And so we're reminded what the apostle said here in verse 2, and it says this, and the 12, and that's the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. They gathered together the church, the congregation, and they said to them, it is not right. And remember, we looked at this last week. It's, it's not that it was beneath them to serve tables, but as far as what God had called them to, God had called them to preach the word, and they weren't able to do that. So they said this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And this is where we see these two groups that we have today. And so this idea of of pastors or shepherds who preach God's word and, and deacons who serve God's church. And so this is where we kind of get this, these two ideas that, that really laid the foundations for what we have today, shepherds and deacons, those who preach and those who serve. And really, when you begin to look through the qualifications found in 1 Timothy, you're going to find that there is so much overlap between shepherds or uh, elders, I, I'm sorry, overseers is actually the word that is used in 1 Timothy, so overseers and deacons. You'll see there's a lot of overlap. And we'll look at that overlap when we get there. But the major difference between those two groups is one is a preaching group and one is not a preaching group. Or I could say one is a teaching group and one is not a teaching group. And so that is the two big differences. And I think that really here in Acts chapter 6 we see the, the foundation for that. And so go ahead and look down at uh, your Bible, and I'll have you stand out of respect for God's Word. We're just going to read just a couple of verses this morning, found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, notice here in verse 1 it says this, The saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now drop down to verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not um, addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let's go ahead and stop there, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, as we gather today, we look at this very vital part of any church. The leadership is so important to the local church, because churches really can go astray under bad leadership. So, Lord, our, our, our desire today is to find out what biblical leadership is. What is good leadership within good churches? And, Lord, first of all, again, I just thank you uh, for the leadership that we have. Thank you for the elders and the deacons and for the pastors and the way that they serve and, and really give their lives uh, to the ministry. But, Lord, we also know that we are not perfect as men And so we do pray that you would help us to have wisdom, that you would fill us with your spirit as we lead. Lord, as I preach today, we pray that this would not be my words, but that I'd be communicating your truth. And so, Lord, use me as you see fit. Use your word to impact our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, our theme for this year is uh, designed for His glory, and as I think about that, we've all been given a a different responsibility in in God's church. And so, we all have been given gifts and talents, and we all use our gifts and talents to serve the Lord. Some of us are prayer warriors, and so uh, God has given us just that extra amount of faith that we constantly take the things, uh, things to the Lord. And let me just say, prayer warriors are so important to the church. 
uh, some, some really like excellent pastors that, that really communicate God's word and, and have a vibrant ministry, they won't point to their impact in the church. What they'll often do is point to, back to the fact that they have people in their church that are praying. And so prayer is so vitally important. And so I know some of you faithfully pray for the Wilton, uh, uh, people within the Wilton Bible Church. You, pr- you faithfully pray for Wilton Christian School. You faithfully pray for the leadership here. And so thank you, those of you who are prayer warriors, you are fulfilling that part. Some of you teach. Some of you teach kids. Some of you teach adults. What a great opportunity to communicate God's word. That's the reason why we're here The reason why we gather is to worship the Lord. We worship the Lord in music. We worship the Lord in offering. And we worship in the Lord as we learn more about Him in God's Word. As He changes our lives, we bring Him glory. So some of us have been called as teachers. Some of us have been called as evangelists. Now, I'm not talking about those people that visit from church to church. I'm talking about those people that every time they're in a conversation, they can't help but turn the conversation into spiritual things. They just have kind of that knack where they always see that door and they're able to turn something into the Lord, a conversation about the Lord. Or maybe it's someone that is always inviting someone to Wilson Bible Church. Maybe you're someone in the community and you always know about someone's need and you're always inviting them. So some of us have been given that gift of evangelism. We can't help but turn a conversation to spiritual things or we're always inviting people to church. Some of us have been given the gift of tithes and offerings. That uh, no matter what the economy might look like, you, you say to yourself, I'm giving to the Lord that's not going to stop me, and I'm going to give joyfully. And when a missionary comes through and you hear about the need, you can't help but give a little bit of money to the missionary as well. Anytime there's a need, you're giving to that need, and, and God fills you with joy every time you give to him. And some of you have been given that gift of tithes and offerings. Others have been given that gift of encouragement. You know those types of people. Those types of people that uh, you, you feel like you're having a bad day, like you're, you think to yourself, I don't even really want to go to church today. And then you talk to that person and you walk away and you're encouraged. And so we need those people, those people who have that gift of encouragement, that, those people that send those letters, those cards in the mail. Hey, I'm thinking about you. I, I'm praying for you. They send the letters uh, to our missionaries. I, I remember there was a, a lady in, in my church growing up, and, and uh, when I was at college, about every month, about every month, she would write me a letter, and she would just encourage me. She knew I was in college. She knew I was uh, struggling as, as a student, and, and so she would just put some scripture in there and she would encourage me and I remember being so encouraged and really looking forward to those notes in my mailbox. So some of you have that gift of encouragement and others of us, we have that gift of leadership. That God has, has given us a, an opportunity to serve him and we're not perfect leaders but he has given us the opportunity to serve in that place of leadership nonetheless. And so really as we think about uh, leadership, as we think about shepherds and deacons, we really care for God's flock. And, and really as we think about uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul kind of gives us some qualifications of what we should look for for those people who feel like maybe they are called to fulfill that purpose, that they feel like that's their gift. My gift is, is to serve the church in leadership as an elder or as a, as a deacon or as a pastor. And so Paul gives some, some qualifications for those. Now, the only other qualifications that I can think of for people in the church outside of these two groups of, of really overseers and, and deacons would be maybe uh, maybe church membership. Now, Paul doesn't say, to be a church member, you have to be da-da-da-da-da. He doesn't list it out like that. But what we see in the Bible, in the New Testament, is we see a pattern. 
we see saved and baptized and added to the church. And so really the minimum requirement for church membership is saved and baptized. Everything else that we might add to that, agree with our church doctrine, those are good ideas. But really the minimum for church membership is saved and baptized. That's the, the basic, that's the the crutch, that is what church membership is, saved and baptized church membership. And so notice here, as, as, uh, and this is one of the reasons why Paul is writing to Timothy, I believe. Notice here in verse 14 it says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so here we have, Paul is communicating really that leadership, Christian leadership, Bible leadership is not an easy task. It's a big responsibility because it's not running our home and our finances. It's running God's home, God's house, and God's finances. And so we, we want to say, God, what do you want us to do? And notice what else Paul says here. The house of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The idea here is that we communicate, we raise up, we are the pillar of truth because we spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we communicate the truth of God's word. So Paul says, you know what, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, and this is the reason. Because the responsibility you have as a leader in your church is big. And so I want to impart some wisdom to you. And so Paul writes what he does here in 1 Timothy. And so we're going to look at today really uh, just, uh, really we're just going to just just really start this First Timothy chapter 3. We're not going to get very far into this at all. But the very first thing that we do want to acknowledge as we think about uh, biblical church leadership is this idea that we've all been called to different things, that God has equipped believers in different ways, and that, that is no different when it comes to church leaders. Church leaders are called individuals. And so that very first point that I have this morning is God calls leaders. God calls leaders. And notice verse 1, it says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. First of all, I want to point out what Paul says here. This saying is, is trustworthy. This could mean that uh, you have heard this before. This could be that it's well known, that, that what I'm about to share with you is, is well known, it's, it's trustworthy. It could also mean this idea that this is information that is important, Timothy. This is information that is faithful and reliable. It is worth trusting. It is trustworthy. And so he uses that idea throughout 1 Timothy as he communicates truth to Timothy so things, these things are important, but they're not just important to Timothy and, and, and to the church that Timothy was a part of, really because they are trust, these are trustworthy ideas, they're also important for us. Because I believe that other idea of trustworthy is that this is something that, that you've, you've heard of before, that we've talked about before. And no doubt it's because this was already some guidelines set up for the church, for leaders in the church. So Paul said, make sure these are your guidelines as well when you think about church leadership. So this, say, this saying is trustworthy. And then notice what it says, if anyone aspires, all right, if anyone aspires. This is if God puts the desire in someone's heart that they want to become a leader. Now, this is not a, a selfish, this is not a pride desire. This is not, I want to be, be church leadership because I really have something to give to the church. They're really missing something, and I, I, I could really give this, and, and the church would be way better off if I was a leader. Or, or maybe it's a prideful idea like, you know what, I, 
I just want leadership over people. I like to tell people what to do. I have the gift of administration, and so I like to tell people what to do. I'm probably called to be a pastor or an elder. But really, I think what Paul is communicating here is that anyone who aspires to the office of overseer, he is saying if God has placed this desire in your heart, that this is a good thing, that this is a good thing. And so the very first part that I want to communicate today is this idea that God places a desire in our heart to serve Him as leaders. Now, what I want to do is I want to share two different stories with you, all right? Two different stories of God's calling upon uh, someone's life. One of them's personal. I'll share my testimony. And then one is that I just recently heard, um, probably about a month ago, as I was talking to another man called into the ministry. So let me share uh, this, this young man's um, call to, to the ministry first. So as I, as I talked to him, he said, you know what, I, I, I kind of, I, I, I grew up in church, but I never really felt called uh, to, to be a, a pastor or, or to be in full-time ministry, but I just wanted to serve in, in some way, and so I started serving in my local church, and then I began to uh, do like a Bible institute. They had a Bible institute in their church, and so we began to kind of uh, develop some, some more tools to serve in a better way, and as he began to serve, his, his pastor began to ask him to take up more responsibility, and so he, he took up more responsibility, and somewhere between just serving and where he is today, he said, and then God called me, or I felt that burden that this is not just a temporary thing, but this is something God wants me to do with the rest of my life is, is to serve in full-time ministry. And so that's one way that, that sometimes God calls individuals to places of leadership. Maybe they're just there just to kind of fill a spot, and then they kind of grow and mature, and then they begin to sense that, hey, you know what? I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I could actually see myself doing this for the rest of my life. I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. I think God wants me to do this for the rest of my life. That's one way that God calls individuals. I should say that everyone's calling is a little different. My calling goes uh, like this, and, and uh, I often classify it as a Moses mentality. A Moses mentality. Here's my calling. I was in high school. I was going to church regularly. I was serving in the youth group. God was getting a hold of my heart. By no means was I a perfect teenager. By no means. But I remember walking uh, to the bus. I, I think I was either a sophomore or a junior in high school because I know by this, my senior year I was, I was driving. So I, I think that it was uh, either my sophomore or my junior year. I know I was in high school. And so here I am, I'm walking down uh, the block to jump on the bus to go to my public high school. And oftentimes as I walked down to the bus, it was just me alone. I didn't, wasn't walking with anyone, and so I had often talked to the Lord. Now when I say talk to the Lord, it's not that I heard a voice uh, from like the clouds opened up and, and a voice came down. It wasn't like that. It was that God was putting something in my heart. And, and so God, I felt like, he was calling me to full-time ministry, and so I began to tell God, you don't want me. You don't want me. I'm not, a, I'm not good. I would not be good in that role. I'm a shy individual. I don't like public speaking. I mean, I'm not a good speaker. Plus, Lord, I come from a divorced family. I mean, there's guys in the youth group, their, their parents are, they love the Lord, and, and, and they, their parents serve the Lord, and why not call them? And then I go, to, I go to a public school. I don't know anything except for what I've learned from church about your word. I don't get taught regularly in school. Maybe you should call one of the Christian school kids who come from a good family who have the education, who their parents serve in the church. Why not call them Lord? And, and so I, I did the kind of Moses thing. You don't want me, Lord, because I'm not perfect. I don't know why I thought those other ones were good choices, because now on the other side I realize they're not perfect either. 
But eventually one day, and this, this happened for weeks, walking to the bus, talking to the Lord, God placing it into my heart, me saying, no, God, that's not what I want to do. I wouldn't be good at that. And one day on the way to the bus, I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go into full-time ministry, that is what I'll do. But you know me, Lord. You know my weaknesses. You know my, my, uh, my shortcomings. You know I'm not a good speaker. You, don't, you know I don't have this education. You know the type of family that I, I come from. And so, Lord, if you're going to call me to this, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to prepare me to be a pastor one day. And so God did, and, and God still is. I'm still growing as an individual. He's not done with me yet. And although I've come a long ways between when I was a junior in high school and, and now, God's still not finished with me yet. But it was that calling that God placed upon my life. And, and at first it was a lot of no God, no God, no God. And then one day it was, Lord, I give my life to you. Whatever you want me to do, that is what I'll do. And so that's my personal calling of, of how God called me into full-time uh, ministry. It wasn't because I thought I was some, some great guy that would be good as a pastor and I had all of the pastor gifts. Really, as I talked to the Lord, I thought, why, Lord, would you choose me? And yet he said, John, no, I choose you. But of course, the question that we have today is whether or not this is biblical, does God call people into leadership? Because remember, this whole study is about biblical church leadership, and so if it's about biblical church leadership, we have to ask the question, is there any evidence in God's Word that God calls leaders? Is there any evidence in God's Word that God calls leaders? So first, the first evidence we want to look at is found in 1 Samuel. So turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're not going to look at a lot of verses here, but I want you to see uh, what we're about to see here. 1 Samuel chapter 9. As you turn there, I'll give you some idea of the context. So the, the context is uh, we have Samuel. Samuel is a, a prophet of God. God talks to Samuel. God directs Samuel. What we're about to read is when God is speaking to Samuel. And then we'll find out what happens after that. And so this is found in verse 16. This is 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 16, and it says this. This is God speaking to Samuel, and he says this. Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And so notice, God is, is watching what is happening in Israel. Things are not going by, and God, God is not too busy for Israel. God sees exactly what is happening, and he tells Samuel, all right, I got a plan here, and we're going to choose this man, Saul. I'm sorry, I didn't even put it up on the screen there. I was reading it from my slides. And then in verse 17, notice this, when Samuel Saul, Saul, that's kind of an interesting idea there, when Samuel Saul, Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you, it is he who shall restrain my people. And so God said this. As, as Samuel uh, came across Saul, God said, Samuel, that is the man. That is the man I was talking about. That is the man. And then we find out what happened a little bit later on. Flip over to chapter 10. All right, flip over to chapter 10. In verse 1 it says this. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, and kissed him, and said, and of course this is happening between Samuel and Saul, and he says this, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies, and, you shall, uh, and this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage." Now, notice what is happening here, that, that Samuel anoints Saul, and really, who is the king of Israel? It's God. 
God is the real king of Israel, but God is setting up another king, an earthly king, to rule the people to, in a way, to shepherd the people under him. That's what was supposed to happen. We know the whole story that Saul doesn't turn out to be a very good king. But we do see this at least, that God anointed Samuel as king. Now, what does that mean, anointed? Well, anoint, anoint, uh, the idea of anointing uh, comes from the Old Testament. It's the idea of being set apart. Let me give you an illustration. The things that were used in the temple were anointed. They were set apart for temple use. And so when things were anointed, they were set apart for the Lord. And so when Samuel anointed Saul, he was setting Saul apart for the Lord's use. And how was the Lord about to use Saul? Well, Saul was going to lead God's people. He was going to be a king under the true king, the God of Israel. So God chose Saul. Not only that, but as Samuel came, he said, that is the man. Samuel, that is the man that I'm going to anoint, and he's going to become king. We see that same idea when it comes to the next king, King David. And so the next thing happens, Saul goes out, and God really communicates to Saul, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my blessing from Saul. He, he communicates this to Samuel, I'm going to take my blessing from Saul, I'm going to give it to someone else. And he chooses David. Again, he made a choice. He called an individual to serve him in a place of leadership. The next question we should ask, though, is that did God just do that in the Old Testament for kings, or does he also do that for church leaders? And so for that, we have to look at the New Testament. So this is found in 1 Peter 5, 2, and it says this. This is Peter uh, communicating, shepherd, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight. Again, that's that idea we've been communicating, or I've been communicating this idea that shepherding and overseers is the same thing, and we see this come out of here in, in what Peter says. Notice, shepherd the flock. That's the idea of pastor. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. That is from 1 Timothy, overseers, the same idea. Notice again, as we continue, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. There's two ideas here. One is that we don't be lazy as leaders, that people shouldn't have to prod us to get things done. All right, that's, that's one idea when we're talking about compulsion but willing. The other idea is that God has called us and we're willing to submit to him. Instead of being like me when I was a teenager and, and the Lord started calling me and I said, no, Lord, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. Instead, it is, Lord, I will do it. And so really church leaders should not be pushed into leadership. They shouldn't be just simply made to be leaders. They should be given that opportunity to serve. And if they feel that, that desire in their heart, then that opportunity is given to them. And so, really, biblical leaders are not forced leaders, but they are called leaders. We see the same idea found in Acts 20, 28. So notice again here in Acts 20, 28, we already read this, but let me point out again what it says here, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Notice in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So who made them shepherds? Who made them overseers? Who made them elders of the church? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually does the work of anointing. Setting apart for the Lord. That is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. And here we see that the Holy Spirit sets aside men to shepherd, shepherd God's flock, to oversee and to care for God's church. And so this idea of, of guys who are called to serve is a biblical idea, not forced leadership. That's not biblical leadership. Church leadership is yielding to God's will 
and saying, yes, I will do that if you would have me to do that. Now, I, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm going to use him as a, an illustration nonetheless. So uh, John Goble, uh, uh, back there, he's one of the elders here at Wilton Bible Church. And uh, when we started discussing uh, who we might uh, ask to be an elder, uh, we asked John Goble to be an elder here at Wilton Bible Church. And so I got together with John and I said, well, uh, so the leadership got together and uh, we think that you meet the qualifications to, to be an elder of the church. What do you think? And, and it was like, ah, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. So he, he thought about it, and then I talked to him at a later time. He said, you know, Pastor, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that really God has called me. I don't think I'm ready for something like that. So I said, well, well, John, how about you be a deacon? And he was like, yeah, I could do that. And so the first year that he served on church leadership, he was a deacon. And he, and he did a great job as, as a deacon. And then about the time that the next year rolled around, he, he came and he talked to me again. He said, Pastor, you know how last year I said I wasn't ready? Now I think I'm ready. And so I said, okay, let me talk to the guys. I'm sure they won't have a problem with that. And, and we'll put you before the church and we'll see if the church thinks you're uh, ready. And so at one time, John said, no, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think that God has called me to that and then the next year he said, Pastor, I do think I'm ready. I, I do think God has called me to that. And really, I think when it comes to church leadership, it should be a called person, a person that God has placed a desire in their life. Because faithful servants demand, all, uh, faithful shepherding demands a lot on a man. If they don't have that inner hunger for the role, they can oftentimes get burned out, and sadly, there are churches just like ours. There's been men who have served in church leadership and then have dropped out of church because the burden was too big. They began to hear about all the problems within the local church, and then they began to wonder whether or not they even wanted to be a part of a local church. And so really, it must be a called individual, someone that God has prepared beforehand to carry that burden I believe that's what biblical church leader is, a called individual. Something that God has placed in someone's, uh, a desire that God has placed in someone's life. Of course, just because someone has a desire doesn't necessarily mean they meet the qualifications. There's another man that uh, I uh, worked with, and, and he really felt like maybe he was called into full-time ministry. And, but his pastor didn't see that. And so he was serving the Lord, but, but he, he wasn't serving the Lord in the place that he wanted to serve the Lord. Instead, he really wanted to be a pastor. And, and the pastor actually came and to him and said, I really don't see that gifting in your life. I think you're doing, I think really what God has gifted you to do, you're doing right now. And you're serving well. And so just because someone might have a desire doesn't mean they meet the qualifications for the position, which leads me to that, this second idea of church leadership. So first of all, that first idea is that God calls church leadership, all right? God calls. He puts a desire in our heart, and, and maybe one day, if he's, if he's putting a desire, maybe he's even putting a desire in your heart today. Maybe you look at Wilton Bible Church, and, and you think to yourself, you know what, would God have me serve as leadership, maybe as a deacon or, or maybe as an elder one day, or maybe you're a teenager thinking to yourself, would, would the Lord call me into full-time ministry? And if he did, what would I do? And so first of all, called individuals, but there's a second part to that, which is really the church confirms leaders. Church confirms leaders. And so look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 here. It says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. An overseer must be above reproach. This doesn't mean that pastors and, and elders are sinless individuals. 
All right, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying, what you really need to do is you need to find just a group of guys who is sinless and then promote them to be leaders. If that was what Paul said, guess what? I would have to resign. And the rest of the board would have to resign. Because we are not perfect individuals. We make mistakes. So what does Paul mean when he says, above reproach? Well, he doesn't mean perfect leadership. What he means is men who show a great degree of Christ-likeness. That you see Christ in their life. That, that the things that come out of their life is not the flesh, but instead really the spirit. And so one, in one book I was reading, it says this, and I want to read this to you. I'm going to put it up on the board there. It says this, being a, above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man who no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People should be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such action. Not acts, I'm sorry. With such acts. So this idea of, this idea that Paul puts forward of being above reproach, this is the idea that when you look at someone, you think they're right with the Lord. Matter of fact, if we take, for example, the, the very next thing that Paul lists. And so notice that very first qualification is above reproach. And then notice that second qualification there, the husband of one wife. And I should say that there is a lot of debate on, on what Paul meant about the husband of one wife. And so some people, they, they look at that and they say, well, you know what, uh, in the church at that time in, in uh, Ephesus, there was polygamy happening, and, and so Paul wanted to communicate, the leaders of your church should not be polygamous guys, they should just be the husband of one wife. I don't think that's the idea here, but I could see why some people would say that, that Paul is simply talking about a polygamous type of relationship where maybe a guy has many wives. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about Others say, well, you know what, what Paul is talking about is, is that a pastor should only be men who are married. I mean, because Paul does say the husband of one wife, to be a husband you have to be a man, and, and to be a husband you have to be married, and therefore the only people that can be pastors are guys who are married and have a wife. And, and, and so people look at that and they say, that's the qualification that Paul set forward is that you have to be married and, and have a wife. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying either because Paul himself talked about being single and, and really encouraged people to be single. And so why would he encourage guys to be single that would actually make them unfit for, for leadership? So I don't think that's it. Other people, they, they look at it and they say, any man that has been remarried, even if, if their spouse passed away and, and if they're widowed and they get remarried, that they should not be pastors because pastors should only have one wife and someone that's been widowed has two wives. And I don't think that's the point either. And other people point to the fact that, you know what, it should never be someone who is divorced and remarried. It says only one wife if someone dies, that marriage contract is null and void. You can remarry, but when someone is divorced and remarried, that's not correct. And so other people look to that. But what I want to communicate to you is actually what the Greek says. And this is literally, this is what the, literally the Greek describes as an overseer, as a one-woman kind of man. That's what's communicated here. So it could be someone who was divorced and remarried. But more importantly, it's a pastor who has eyes only for his wife. And so sometimes in ministries, unfortunately, sometimes pastors do have affairs in the church. Sometimes with their secretary, sometimes with, with a lady in the church. That was someone that didn't have eyes just for their wife. And you know, when those things come out, people should be surprised of those allegations. Let me tell you what would disqualify a church leader if someone said, I don't think they are faithful to their wife, if they're dedicated to their wife. Based upon what I see, they don't seem very faithful 
If anyone was to say that about a pastor or elder or the church since that in church leadership, then that person should probably be removed from that church leadership. They no longer meet that qualification of above reproach. And so that is the idea that Paul is communicating. That as we begin to look through these things, and really we're going we're gonna to classify them in four groups as we look at them as a whole, but as you look at their life, would you be surprised if they were caught in these errors? Would you believe if someone came up and said, Pastor John or Pastor Ken or Pastor Peter or, or one of our elders is struggling with this, would you go, oh, I knew it? Or would you say, really, I don't believe it? And really, men who are above reproach, the church would say, whoa, I don't believe it. That doesn't mean that we don't follow up and get down to the bottom of, of what the allegation is, because we should always do that. But still, the idea is that we would be surprised. And so, to be above reproach does not mean that we're perfect, all right? That means that simply that the way that we live, we live in a way that shows Christ in our life, not the acts of, or the works of the flesh, but instead the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit. And so let's review here. God has equipped each of us for different tasks. Okay, some of us give, some of us pray, some of us serve, some of us lead. God has equipped each of us with talents and gifts, and we're all using them to make God's church stronger. But God has called and gifted Pacific people to church leadership. So when Paul was talking about church unity, and this is in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse 11, he says this, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. What we need to realize is our shepherds and our teachers are really given by God. The leadership that we have is a God-given leadership as long as it's a biblical leadership. And so we shouldn't take for granted the guys that serve. We shouldn't take for granted the deacon that serves. We shouldn't take for granted the pastors that we have at our church. They're a God-given group, just like whatever part you play. Whether you're someone who prays, whether you're someone who gives, whether you're someone who serves, those are all important God-given things. And I do want to stop there because I don't want to move too far into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, but I do want to give you an idea of where we're headed, okay? Really what I see is four major groups that Timothy, or that Paul gives to Timothy. And so these are the four major groups. The first one deals with testimony. That's what we just started and we haven't finished. The first group is really, what is the testimony of that leader? Are they fit for leadership? All right? That's test number one, their testimony. Test number two that, that Paul writes about is their family leadership. How do they lead their own family? And Paul says if they can't lead their family, they shouldn't lead the church. So that second idea is family leadership. That third idea is maturity in the faith. Unless they're individuals who are mature and they're growing, then they shouldn't really be church leaders. There ought to be some type of maturity associated with their relationship with the Lord. You should seek out mature leaders. Now, I'm not saying mature just, just because they're older and they're not younger. I'm saying because they're wise and because they know God's word. Because they're godly. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're mature individuals. And lastly, the last idea that the major group will see here is reputation in the community. It is how others perceive them. So there's one way... How does the church perceive them? And that there's another way, how does the world perceive them? Do they have respect of the world, or are they kind of shunned? And so those are really the four groups that we'll be looking at that really Paul puts forward to Timothy. These are the qualifications. Group number one, personal testimony. Group number two, family leadership. Group number three, maturity in the faith. And group number four, reputation in the community. 
And sadly today, as we think about Christianity, it can be hard to find guys that meet these four main groups. These, this testimony and family leadership and maturity and reputation. And so the fact that we have a good group here means that we're really a blessed church to have guys that meet these qualifications. But I also can't help but think as, as I look out that maybe there is other guys besides our current leadership that you also meet the qualifications. Maybe you need to become a church member. But maybe God would call you to lead Wilson Bible Church one day. And I think we kind of ended with this last week, and I'll end with it this week again. As men and women, are we preparing our life to serve the Lord? And we should. The things that are listed here is not just about pastors and elders. Really, these are the things that we should all be aspiring to be. Individuals with testimony, individuals that lead correctly in our homes, individuals who have good reputation in our community, leaders who are individuals who are mature in their faith. All of these things should be true of all of us. But those people who are called, these are the qualifications. And so we'll be getting together again next week. We'll be looking through these and talking about what those are. Let's go ahead and stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the time that we've had together. Again, we thank you for the men that you have brought to Wilton to be our leadership. Thank you for the pastors, for the elders, and for the deacons, Lord. We thank you for the part that they play. But not just them, Lord. We think about the fact that everyone here plays a part at Wilton Bible Church, that they may not be leading from the front, but they are serving throughout the ministry. And, and some are faithful in prayer, and some are faithful in teaching, and some are faithful in in, in uh, uh, giving the gospel, inviting people to church. Some are, are faithful in uh, giving of the offering. Some are faithful in encouragement. And so we thank you for all, all of your people who are faithful to the responsibilities that you have given to them. But Lord, we thank you for the men that you have raised up, the men you have anointed and set apart for church leadership. We pray that you'll continue to use us Help us to be sensitive to your leading as you lead in our lives. But Lord, there also might be men here that are, they meet the qualifications. They're good leaders in their home. They're mature individuals as far as their faith. But maybe they just haven't stepped up and answered that call. Lord, if you're placing that call in their life, just like when I struggled with it, May you help them to say, yes, I'd be willing to serve. I'd be willing to serve in leadership. Thank you for the individuals that we have. Thank you for the individuals that you're working in their hearts. But also, Lord, thank you for each one that is here that plays a part. Again, thank you for your grace. We're not perfect individuals, but we're individuals that you use nonetheless to accomplish great things. Lord, use each of us as we are designed for your glory, help us to give glory back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.